The following program is sponsored by Rosenthal Wealth Management. Spotlight Dina. And we'll view the gallery again. All right. And then we should see. Two, one. Dean Arnett is a registered representative offering securities and advisory services through Satera Advisor Networks, LLC, a broker, dealer, and registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPC. Satera is under separate from Rosenthal Wealth Management. Rosenthal Wealth Management is located at 92 of Corporate Circle in Virginia and can be reached at 3330 Chris McKay is not affiliated with Satera Advisor Networks, LLC, nor Rosenthal Wealth Management Group. Bob Jones is an employee. Management Group and affiliated with Citra. It's time now for Money Sense, live with Larry Rosenthal. Larry is recognized as one of the nation's leading financial and retirement planners and is here to answer your questions right now. Author, speaker, and talk show host Larry Rosenthal is dedicated to teaching others financial stewardship from a biblical point of view. Call Larry now. Studio lines are open at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. Making Money Sense is on the air. Welcome once again to the Larry Rosenthal Show, Making Money Sense. And in studio today, we have the lovely Dina Arnett in for Larry. Hello, Dina. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing very, very good. Good to see you there. Good to see you. Good to see you. Yeah. I uh, it, it's been a wild week, and I came in expecting donuts this morning, and What's Bob up with let that? me Bob let me down. No donuts from Bob today. You don't he's not paying. Any, there we go. Oh. <laughs> he's happy about that. I'm not sure why. <laughs> it's all good. Where's Gotta my give donuts? Bob. Yeah, Got to well. give Bob a little grief once in a while. Yes, that, that's the job. That's the job. So what's that's going right. on with you today? What are we doing today? Well, we're going to talk about investing. We're going to talk about economic data. We're going to talk about inflation. And we'll see what else comes up. Okay. And we'll take your phone calls. So give us a call. That's we'll, right. That's we'll right. you this morning. You know, all the major U.S. indices took a bit of a breather this week. The Dow was slightly negative, down 0.07%. Nothing, nothing to write home about. The, the Dow was still up 13% for the year. The S&P was down a little over a half percent. S&P still up 18% for the year. The tech-heavy NASDAQ was down a half a percent as well. It's still up 17, almost 17% for the year. So when we get... Weeks like this where the market seems to struggle for direction, don't get nervous. But if you do, if you do, realize it's it's not uncommon for markets to take a pause after a long run-up. In, in fact, it's pretty common. If I look at the history of markets, I can see a year like last year, 2020. At one point, the market was down 33%. We ended up close to 20% for the year. That's a whole lot of volatility, a whole lot of riding that roller coaster, but it ended up being a really good year. So I would say if you are a bit of a nervous investor right now, if you're feeling uncertain about the market, if you're feeling uncertain or squeamish with the volatility, talk to your financial advisor. Have them run a risk audit and give you a summary of all of the risk that you're taking in your portfolio. That risk audit 
can help uncover some things that may be taking more risk than the returns would otherwise indicate. I tell my clients, if I've got some positions in the portfolio that are taking more risk than their respective market index and getting less return, that's a good candidate for replacement in the portfolio. I don't want more risk and less return. That's that's one of those do not compute, does not compute type things. I want a fair level of risk for the level of return that I'm getting. And I'd really like to get lucky once in a while and take less risk and get more return. If you do that risk audit and get a good summary of all the holdings in the portfolio, you can make those kinds of strategic, I'll call them rebalance decisions with your advisor. Less risk and more return. Now, wouldn't that be nice for just about everybody? Right? Well, we all love that. And there, and there can be ways to build a portfolio that does that. But it mm. starts with this risk audit. And And if you're listening and you don't have a financial advisor or your financial advisor doesn't talk to you in those terms, give us a holler. We'll be happy to do a risk audit and a summary report for you so that you've got some knowledge going into the fall. Um, We're we're almost finished with the third quarter. Wow, this year's going fast. We're almost finished with the third quarter. So starting in early October, We're going to get a whole slew of economic data from the third quarter. Sometimes October is pretty volatile because of that amount of data that's coming in. We've got a whole lot of plates spinning on pegs right now. And and the data that comes in in October could inject some more volatility. So I think it is prime time to go get that risk audit done. If you don't have anyone to do that for you, we'll be happy to do it. Yeah, and if you'd like to dial in right now, our phone number is 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123. If you have a nodding, a nine question maybe that you've been wanting to know the answer to with regards to financial planning or anything related to the markets, then now is the time to call. Again, 855-767-3123. We have said for a while now that we expect the inflation that we're experiencing to be transient. We don't expect it to be deeply rooted and carry on for years and years like we saw in the 70s and 80s. And this past week, we actually got some data that reinforces that idea. Economists had expected a sharp drop in in retail sales in August, but they were pretty strong. Um, August retail sales were up 0.7% in August. If you take out automobile sales, the retail sales go up to 1.8%. That is a nice, nice number. And I like that number because if you look at economic growth in our country, consumer spending accounts for two-thirds of our GDP output as a country. And it's that GDP number that helps determine whether we're in recession or not. Right now, that number shows me that the consumer is spending money. They're making their contribution to that GDP number. In the, in the meantime, U.S. consumer prices, CPI, that actually leveled off in August. It's still up year over year, but we were at 5.4% in July. We dropped down to 5.3% in August. 
And if I look at core CPI, which takes out food and energy, two of the big high inflation items right now, right? Core CPI was up 4% in August. It was at 4.3 in July, a 30-year high. So I think what we're experiencing right now in terms of inflation, I think we're cresting a peak. And just like we've talked about for a few months now, toward as, as we head toward the end of the year, we're going to see those inflation numbers moderate a bit more. So that's that's really good data, and um, we got some some good commentary from a couple of the regional Fed banks this week. They still say that the uh, the inflation advance is transitory. That confidence hasn't bled over to consumers quite yet. Consumers are expecting a rise of inflation at 5.2 percent in the in the I'm sorry in the com, in the coming year. Easy mm. for me to say. <laughs> um, we'll see. I think right now we're we're experiencing a nice leveling off of the data, and that will be nice because inflation has been one of the big concerns, not only for us in the business, but for consumers, for our clients, for anybody who's watching this. Mm. We're concerned about things that that may send us back to the days of hyperinflation. Yeah, it was a little scary during those times. I was going to ask you a quick question about kind of this whole economy picture when it comes to unemployment and employment. It seems like, I mean, I see so many people looking for, actually not looking for work, but I see so many people, employers looking for jobs, for people to come work for them. You know, it's it's very interesting. Um, in the UK, uh, this in, during the month of August, they hit um, uh, an employment number that they haven't seen since the pandemic began. Mm. And they in the UK, even it's it's very similar there um, to what we're experiencing here in the United States. In the UK, they've got right now over a million unfilled jobs, mm. and just like in the United States, much of their government stimulus is winding up at the end of this month. So it in in the UK, here in the US, we we are expecting to see more people returning to work as those government benefits reduce and eventually drop off. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. It, it kind of makes sense. I mean, I, it was for for the time that they were there, they were good at, at a point, but it, now it's time to get back to work, I think. Hopefully, we'll see. You know, it's 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 an interesting balance that we have to strike on this because we still have multiple variants of COVID out there. Every single week we hear more stories of people getting sick, getting hospitalized. There's there's still a huge part of the of the population that is very, very cautious and proceeding very, very carefully in light of that. I'm not sure where the balance is between, hey, you know, on this side, we've got government benefits that are are being reduced or shut off. And over on this side, we've got people who still, for for various reasons, cannot or should not be out and about. Mm -hmm. Yes, a tough balance trying to figure that one out for sure. Well, it is. It absolutely is. If you're someone who's immune compromised and you need to go back to work. It's still a very scary proposition. I went to an event yesterday that was part outside, part inside. And the inside part, it was it was at a fairground. So you know how the fairground tents and the buildings oh, are. Sure. A lot of them are open-edge buildings. But they asked that if we were in those open-edge buildings to wear the mask. And they had the hand sanitizer stations everywhere. It's still very much a thing. And somehow, some way, this is all going to get woven together 
I don't know if this means that Congress will extend unemployment benefits a bit longer. I don't know if it means the UK will do the same. I don't know if the eviction moratorium will get extended. There's so many pieces of this that if we had a real clear path forward on the virus, it'd be a lot easier to, to, to figure out, but we don't because every time, and this is, (laughs) I'm not a scientist. We all know this, but my, my perception is every time Scientists think they understand the virus. It mutates and turns into something else, and then they're having to go back and reevaluate and relearn. So, I, how much of this you know, do you think is still affecting our economy? Are we still just kind of slowly coming back? Or I think we're still slowly coming back. I mean, unemployment got really, really bad there, and the worst of it, um, the unemployment figures are coming back into the realm of normal. The GDP numbers are. are coming back into the realm of normal. We've seen inflation this past year like we haven't seen Mm -hmm. in decades. Mm -hmm. So there are pieces of the economy that are moving forward, actually plowing forward as if the, the virus doesn't exist. And then there are other aspects of the economy like employment, like all these unfilled jobs that that still show a sign of struggle. And it is absolutely pandemic related. From what I can tell, we're not seeing any more of the Fed indicating that they might tap on the brakes with any kind of an interest rate hike or anything yet, are we? I think the Fed will will move very slowly and very deliberately. Make no mistake, the Fed understands the power that they wield. They know that if they come out with a statement that is too, I'll call it hawkish, Mm -hmm. if they come out with a statement that's too strong about inflation and what they plan to do with interest rates. The market absolutely it reacts goes nuts. to that. Yeah, it, does. it does. It does. But I, I will say those those day to day headline things that impact the market a day here, a day there, those aren't necessarily long term market impactors. Mm-hmm. But to my original statement, I think the Fed will tiptoe into this and I think the first thing that they will do is they will start um uh, tapering. They'll start slowing down the amount of U.S. Treasuries that they're purchasing every single month. So if in September they buy 80 billion of U.S. Treasuries, maybe they're set to buy 80 billion every month the rest of the year. And they may come out at their next meeting and say, starting in January, we're only going to buy 70 billion. Mm-hmm. That's not in in terms of, of slow, an entire yeah. economy, that's not a big number, but it is a taper. It is a signal from the Fed that financial and economic conditions are improving enough that they can start slowly taking back their support and let the economy run on its own. Yeah, I kind of wish and, that the, the, the Wall Street didn't react so shall we say drastically to even the slightest little change. You know, it's like vroom, vroom. <laughs> Well, it's hard. It's hard because we have been through almost a a, a shell shock with this pandemic. When we first started hearing about COVID last January, it was something that was over there. Okay. It wasn't on the shores of the United States. It was something that was somewhere else. And we were going on with our lives. On February 15th last year, my husband pulled off an epic surprise 50th birthday party for me. We had a house full of people. February 15th, by March 18th, we were all working at home. Yeah. Nobody was coming into the office. Things were in full-blown pandemic shutdown. And now, looking back on it, we see that that mid-February mark was the start of a big market decline from February 
16th, 17th-ish until March 23rd, the market went like this. The market just took this huge nosedive, 33% down. Oh, I, I, I remember. It, yeah. it was very frightening. It was very scary. It was an enormous, I'll call it correction, but it was more than that. Um, and people were at their computer terminals desperately trying to get out of the way of it. And if you get enough people doing that at the same time, it exacerbates an already bad market. I, I tell my clients, if everybody's buying stocks, stocks will go up. If everybody's selling them, they will go down. And in that period of time, we had more people selling than buying. And it's counterintuitive, but you should be doing the opposite of that as an investor, right? And we reached a point where people said, hey, wait a second. There's a buying opportunity. You know what? Apple stock is a fraction of what it was just six weeks ago. Ditto for Amazon. Ditto for Netflix. People people got with the program eventually, but it was a tough six weeks. And and there's... There's there's really not a good way to get out of the way of that other than to say what, you know, I go back to my comment from the beginning of the show, get a risk audit, find out the pieces that are moving with more risk than their respective indices might indicate and see if those are good opportunities to rebalance or or perhaps change an asset class. There's a lot you can do once you understand the risk of the individual components and then how they all work together to create the overall portfolio risk. Mm-hmm. 855-767-3123 is the phone number to call, 855-ROSE-123. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more of Dina Arnett in for Larry Rosenthal on the Larry Rosenthal Show here in just a minute. But we would love to hear from you, 855-767-3123. 855-ROSE-123 to talk to Dina Arnett here in studio with us. Give us a call and we'll continue here in just a moment. You are listening to Making Money Sense live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. still too many countries that give little or no assistance to disabled children. In third world nations, these children could be left alone while parents try to eke out a living. About 10 years ago, residents of Prince William and Fauquier counties in Virginia formed Children with Disabilities Fund International. It focuses on the needs of disabled children. CDFI's current work in Jamaica and Kenya supports about 300 disabled children and their families. For some of these children, they're getting the care they need for the first time in their lives. CDFI recently began an individual child sponsorship program in an effort to better meet the needs of these disabled children. To choose your child to sponsor, go to thecdfi.org. That's thecdfi.org. Your gift will help transform not only a disabled child's life, but the lives of their parents and of the surrounding community. Go to thecdfi.org. Make a difference. Go to thecdfi.org. And here's another Money Minute with Larry Rosenthal. So many different ways to invest money. Lump sum deposits, buy and hold, market timing. 
How about dollar cost averaging? Put the same amount of money into the same investment at every interval, whether it's monthly, quarterly, annually, whatever it may be. This gives you the greatest opportunity to get the average price over the long term of the investment because one of the secrets to creating wealth is the acquisition of shares. You want to keep buying more and more shares over time. On the flip side, when you're in your retirement years and you want to distribute dollars to yourself for income, do the same thing in reverse. Dollar cost average out during your retirement years. Nationwide and coast to coast from sea to shining sea. Call now, 855-767-3123. That's 855-ROSE-123. Live from the nation's capital, this is the Larry Rosenthal Show. Thanks for joining us for the Larry Rosenthal Show. And in studio with us today is Dina Arnett sitting in for Larry. Good to see you again. And it's been so far so good, right? We're, we're doing So far right. so good. So far, so good. If you'd like to dial in, let me give you that number, 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123. And if you'd like to talk to Dina, ask her any questions you want, and she will have the answer for you. I know she will. Financial questions. Oh, okay. Let's let's, Let's, let's let's, specify that. You know, if you want to talk to me, maybe maybe a gardening question. I'm pretty good at that. You're good at football and cars, too. Yeah, you know. uh, (laughs) I could. I could. Who dat, by the way? Who dat? Uh-oh. You know, I love my saints. Yes, I know you do. All right. You know, back to the money stuff. Yes. One of the big things we are always watching uh, is fiscal policy. There there are two big parts of economic thought. There's There's monetary policy, which is basically the Fed and how the Fed manipulates interest rates to control the money supply. They are an independent organization. They're not voted for. They're not... They're not supposed to be political, okay? They're, they're a completely independent organization. And then we have fiscal policy, which is the political side of this whole thing. And fiscal policy is controlled by Congress, the House, the Senate, the President. And right now, there's a whole lot of talk back and forth about this this infrastructure bill. The House Ways and Means Committee detailed their plan this week to pay for a $3.5 trillion infrastructure plan. If it if it's approved, the overall package has got a number of tax increases in it. And as financial planners, as investors, we need to pay attention to this kind of thing because this is something that is much more than a day-to-day headline. This is something that could be far-reaching. It could impact things like jobs, unemployment, inflation. And so these are the kind of things that while we can't control them, we certainly need to understand them. Mm-hmm. So in looking through the package that is going through the Ways and Means Committee right now, if it ends up being approved, corporate income taxes will go up from 21% to 26.5%. There will be a 3% surtax on on those earning $5 million a year or more. There will be an increase in the capital gains tax. Right now, the top capital gains tax rate long-term is 20%. They're looking at an increase to 25% and as high as 31.8% on higher earners. Hmm. So when we, when we look at that, that's, that's a, 
a fair amount of tax increase that is is geared toward paying for a very very expensive infrastructure bill the excuse me there's a a study that was done by the joint tax committee and this this study showed that the democrat proposal would increase taxes on households earning a million or more by about 10.6%. So um, they're, they're trying to find a way to pay for this, this proposal that they've got. But there are a couple of holdouts. Um, we've got a, a Democrat from Arizona, a Democrat from West Virginia. They don't like the price tag on the bill. They don't mm-hmm. like a $3.5 trillion spending package. And they also don't like great big tax hikes. Yeah, I would so say a president, few of their constituents probably don't like that 10% hike in their tax rate. Well, exactly. And, you know, there are plenty who would make make the argument, hey, there aren't that many households that earn more than a million dollars. Sure. It's like a 2% rate somewhere you down know, it's, the it's, it's, um, You know, so, so I think people could make the argument that there's, <laughs> you know, I can see both sides of this. There aren't enough million dollar plus households to make a dent in three and a half trillion dollars and then there's the other side that says well that's the you know the one or two percent they should pay more so there's two sides to this and and the president this week actually met with both of those senators to try and sway their vote and so far they seem uh, very unconvinced of the need for a three and a half trillion dollar spending package that's a lot of money I don't know how this is going to land. Mm. I do know that if it gets passed, we are going to have to look at the impact of all those new taxes and all that new spending. The, the, the spending side of the equation could funnel money into some companies and give us some investment opportunities. The increased taxes, as I said, could in, influence things like unemployment, um, inflation. So we have to look at all of that. And stuff. some of it's just a wait and see, right? We'll see where it goes. It's absolutely yeah. a wait and see. Nothing is a done deal right now. Yeah. They're still very largely in the negotiating phase on all of this. Danny, welcome from uh, Maryland. Your question for Dina here this morning. What Social Security question uh, regarding okay. the spousal benefit? Yes. Um, yeah. Well, you know, I uh, thought about, I haven't collected yet. My wife has, and from what I understand, and not until I start collecting that she could get the additional spouse. We're divorced. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, and she is not remarried. Or neither of us are going to remarry. Um, okay. And and I was thinking. I, I pay her alimony. I was thinking that once I start collecting, then I could help her or figure out if she could collect that extra benefit. But on the flip side, I haven't start, started collecting, but <laughs> I wonder, could I collect a spousal benefit? On her record? Yes. Uh, but I, I was the higher earner. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I I lost my job. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, I got another job, but it's not paying nearly what it uh, what my other one did. And are I'm you a full Social Security retirement age yet? No, uh, I will be. I am sixty five, but I was born in fifty six, so I I believe I have to wait till sixty six and four months. That sounds right. Yes. So. 
if you are working right now and you are making more than, and I'm going to ballpark this number, okay? I don't have the exact sure. figure in front of me. If you're making more than about 18000 a year, I don't know that it would be of benefit to you to even file for a spousal benefit. Because if you're okay. younger than full retirement age, they're going to penalize you if you earn more than the 18000 a year. And they're oh, going to take yeah. they're going to take back two dollars for every three that you earn above that limit. So while yes, I think you probably could file for a spousal benefit on your wife's record, depending on how much you make, you could end up just giving it all back. Okay. Mm. So okay. N- nice thought, but again, it depends on how much you're earning. It it may not do a thing for you. Okay, which you know kind of. Brings into question to me the spousal benefit. <laughs> Could both spouses take that? It's it's strange. Um, I, well, I know sure. My... There's there's oh, no. Wow. The, it used to be that. We had this whole file and suspend thing, right? I could yeah. I could file on my husband's benefit. He would have to apply for his benefit and then immediately suspend it. Okay, I could go in and file for the spousal benefit on his record, and then he would leave his until 70 years old, so he would get the max benefit. They turned that off. They turned they they turned that off. Forgive me, I don't remember exactly when, but I I think it was I think it was during President Obama's administration, actually, that they turned that off. So oh, okay. the the ability the, there's there's something called a restricted spousal benefit. I think you had to have been born in 1954 or earlier to even get access to that. Uh, so you've got a few you've got a few things against you in in this quest. I understand what you're trying to do, but but again, I go back to my original comment. If you earn too much and end up having to pay all of the social security benefits back you haven't you haven't helped yourself mm. true okay well danny i'm guessing that you probably could benefit from a kind of sort of a deep dive dig down to planning session that would kind of help you kind of figure that all out so why don't i uh, why don't i put you on hold here if that's okay and then we'll get bob to get some information from you and maybe you can uh, talk with dean a little bit more about this offline at some point okay all right that Thank sounds you for the good. Call. Sure. Thanks for calling. Appreciate that. 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123. Dina? You know, that is such a great question because Social Security is one of those things that is very complicated to understand depending on where you are in life, depending on if you have minor children, if a spouse has passed away, if there's been a divorce, there's a different set of rules in each circumstance. And it is always good to get some advice on whether it is an appropriate time to file. The biggest thing that I end up telling people about social security is exactly what I just told the last caller. Mm. If you are younger than your full social security retirement age, and you start taking Social Security benefits while you're working, you could end up having to pay some or all of it back. So make sure before you pull the trigger on Social Security, make sure you get some advice on that. Makes sense. Makes sense. 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123. To talk to Dina Arnett here in studio with us today. Let's say we take a little quick break here, Dina. We'll be back with more of the Larry Rosenthal Show here in just a minute. Hang in there. 
are listening to Making Money Sense Live with Larry Rosenthal. Phone lines are open for your retirement and financial planning questions at 855-ROSE-123. That's 855-767-3123. More Making Money Sense in a moment. another money minute with larry rosenthal proper financial planning starts with a firm foundation don't jump up to the third rung of the ladder when you're trying to climb to the top of the roof make sure your insurance is aligned properly make sure you have the right types of homeowners auto umbrella disability long-term care life insurance just to name a few financial planning starts with a firm foundation and that foundation is your insurance then take a look at your cash flow are you able to save money save it in the proper places retirement planning traditional iras traditional 401k plans roth iras make sure that the dollars are actually working for you towards your investment objectives You've seen and heard him on Fox Business, CNBC, and the Wall Street Journal. Larry Rosenthal is here right now to take your calls at 855-767-3123. That's 855-ROSE-123. This is the Larry Rosenthal Show. Welcome back to the Larry Rosenthal Show. 855-767-3123 is the phone number to call to talk to Dina Arnett here in studio who's sitting in for Larry. So, Dina, I'm telling you, we're loving every minute of you being here, and I'm sure appreciating these phone calls. So if you'd like to dial in, we'd love to hear from you. Any questions you've got? Excellent, excellent. Thank you. I want to spend the rest of our time together today just talking about some investment strategies. It is so easy to get wrapped up in headlines. It is so easy to get nervous and feel like the sky is falling when you hear things like the Dow plummeted 200 points today on inflation fears or the tech-heavy NASDAQ took a plunge on inflation fears. Yeah, that seems to be the big headline these days, inflation fears. So what's an investor to do? Well, first of all, you've got to take the emotion out of it. Anytime you hear a headline and your heart rate, start, heart rate starts racing and you run to the computer to log in and see what you need to sell, that's fear. That's an emotion. Get it out of your investing. So I'm going to talk about five smart investing strategies that you can use to take the emotion out and be very logical about the investment planning that you're doing. And my very first recommendation is don't try to time the market. It is a very, very difficult thing to do. And as I have said so many times, if there were a way to time this market, we would be doing this show from a beach in Bora Bora. We would not be sitting here. Could we? That would be awesome if we could do that. I would Listen, you're the tech guru. Make it happen. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Okay. I am happy to do the radio show with the sound of waves and seagulls and, and other critters in the background. I that think that'd be, be awesome. a great show. It would be. It would be. I don't know what the time zone is out there. We'd probably have to get up at Odark 30 to do it. <laughs> I'd Seems, do that if we're going to be on a beach. I'm willing to make. Yeah, I think so. That'd be fun. Indeed, indeed. So, so don't time the market. It, it's it's very very difficult to do. And and the thing about timing the market is, 
you might get lucky a handful of times. And it's sort of like being at the at the slot machine in Vegas, right? You you put your quarter in and all the quarters come spewing out and you're like, oh man, I'm on a roll. And then you end up putting all the quarters back in and then they're gone. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with market timing. You might get lucky a handful of times and you'll get lulled into this sense of confidence. You'll get lulled into this sense of, hey, wow, I have really figured something out. No, you haven't. You got lucky. Mm -hmm. You got lucky. Timing the market just doesn't make sense for the very simple reason that if you miss out on just a handful of the best days in the market, you significantly dilute your returns. So if I look at the the return of the S&P 500 over a 20-year period, the average return is something like 7.68% over 20 years. If you missed the five best performing market days in that 20-year period, your return dropped from 7.68 to 5.49, just from missing five days. Mm. If you missed the 10 best days, and I'm talking over 20 years, okay, you got to be pretty good at timing to know when those 10 days are going to be. But if you missed the 10 best days, the return dropped from 7.68 to 4. And if you missed the best 20 days, if you missed the one best day a year in each of 20 years, your average return was one and a half percent. Goodness, that means it's like you got to be patient. You got to really kind of, you know, do your do your homework and your diligence. Hey, we've got a phone call here from Laurel uh, in Maryland. Laurel, what's your question here for Dina this morning? Hey, Laurel. Hi, good morning. Hey, how are you? Good. How you doing? What can Uh, I do for you? Good, good. So I, I am a widow. I've been um, a widow for um, over 13, 14 years now. And I have a, I'm currently working 52 years old, and I have a daughter who is disabled. And um, I'm currently working Social Security, um, which is challenging to get her uh, SSI benefits as well as the benefits that come from her um, being disabled prior to, I believe it was age 21 or 22. I forget the specifics. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm looking into uh, my benefits coming, um, obviously, if I wouldn't get uh, married again um, at right around age 60. So I'm, I'm just wondering what um, thoughts or insights you might have with this specific predicament that I'm in. Do you have do you have legal help with the social security problem? Uh, or are you right trying to now, do it all by yourself? I'm, just, I'm trying to do it by myself, yes. And it's I'm, I'm running into challenges because I can't um, seem to get much movement or assistance. Well, and and you've got you've got two issues here. First of all, the Social Security Administration is just overrun. Many of them are still working from home and taking all these calls from home. It's difficult to even get an appointment to go into the Social Security Administration these days. I know that you can schedule a call. I have had uh, different people tell me they've scheduled calls and then the calls never happened. So that's problematic. So it's you've got a logistical problem, but I think you've also got a, a problem of just 
lack of time in your day. You're trying to work, you're trying to take care of your daughter, and you're trying to tackle them. If you have the resources to do it, I would strongly recommend enlisting an attorney, a firm that specializes in working with Social Security. I know it's an added expense, but this is someone who can fight the fight for you. They know the ins and outs in ways that you don't. And they probably have contacts that you don't. So I I know you're trying to do this yourself because... It's expensive. I I get that. But I think you are likely to get more movement if you get some professional help with that. And um, the the struggles that I'm having is um, not getting the information from the hospital sent to Social Security. And I'm getting varied um, responses back from Social Security as well as the medical field. Uh, as far as that they've done it or they haven't done it or how to do it and those sorts of things. So I'm I'm guessing the legal help would uh, kind of guide me through that process. I think that it would. And if I'm in your shoes, I am asking the hospitals and the doctors for copies of everything they send. I want to see every bit of documentation that is being put forth on, on my case. So if I'm in your shoes, that's what I'm telling them. And I think I think getting some professional guidance on this might might light a fire under some people. Maybe that would be that would be my hope. But um, my my first go to on this is get some professional help. Somebody who's navigated these waters many times. Okay, and then just another quick question while while I have you. Um, Sure. So I I do have the option of of getting um, my widow benefits at age 60, and um, I'm wondering if I would not do that, if I would wait till later, would that benefit me, or or is there any pros or cons of, of taking it or not taking it at that specific age? I think it's a wait and see on that. You're You're 52? Yeah, I, I think that's a wait and see. I think that's a long time. Eight, a lot can happen in eight years. At, at yeah. this at this point, that's a tough that's a tough one. I'm I'm leaning toward yes, just knowing what you've told me right now. But but again, I don't know what happens in the next eight years. Yeah. Well, if you did, I guess we'd all be at a good spot. You get a lot of phone calls. <laughs> Again, on a beach in Bora Bora, right? Yeah. We, if you figure out, if you figure out how we can do that, give us a call back. We'd like to have the answer to that one. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your insight. Thank you, Laurel. Thank I appreciate you for the phone call. Jeannie's on the line with us from uh, Pembroke Pines, Florida. Speaking of a beach in Bora Bora, I'm sure you're kind of close to that. Or, or are you near the beach? I don't know where Pembroke Pines is. Are you with us? Jeannie? Well, maybe she dropped off there. Well, shoot. We'll put her back on hold and hopefully we'll catch catch back up with her. Let's uh, let's talk to uh, Sandra here in Virginia. How are you, Sandra? Sandra, can you hear us? Are you with us? Oh, dear. That's not good. I think we're having technical difficulties. We might have a technical difficulty here, too. I'll put you back on hold here and hopefully we'll... Catch back up with you. Give us a call here at uh, 855-767-3123. In the meantime, we'll continue on. We'll figure out what's going on with these calls. Okay. I was talking about how trying to time the market can be very, very expensive. But on the flip side of that, am I saying that investors should stay in the stock market all the time? 
absolutely not. Uh, there's plenty of evidence to show that missing the market's best days can certainly dilute your return. But there's also the planning issue of time horizon and risk tolerance that has to be built into all of that. And I keep going back to this whole risk audit thing. The risk audit is really, really helpful so that you know what to expect from your portfolio. If I've done a risk audit and I tell you that your best potential return over a span of time, 95% of the time is going to be somewhere in the 20% ballpark. And I tell you that 95% of the time, your worst return is going to be minus 10%. That's it's an expectation, right? You know that if your portfolio is operating within those parameters, that things are working as planned. And you don't have to try to time the market. You don't have to look at headlines and feel like the, the sky is falling and, oh no, what change can I make now so this isn't so bad? So, Thing number one, do not try to time the market. Get that risk audit done. Understand the risk in the portfolio so that you don't feel the urge to try and time the market. Once we do that, we talk about asset allocation. And asset allocation, believe it or not, asset allocation determines over 90% of your portfolio's return over time. So what do I mean by asset allocation? I mean simply the mix between stocks, bonds, and cash within your portfolio. There are lots of different types of stocks. There are lots of different types of bonds. And then there's cash. So the the mixture of those three things determines the overall risk level of the portfolio. But more importantly, the mixture of those three things determines your investment success over time. So when I look at asset allocation, it's not a one-size-fits-all. It is truly a custom asset allocation that should, if it's done appropriately, that should mirror your financial plan. When I do a financial plan for clients, I will do... I will run a simulation that shows, hey, if everything keeps going exactly like it's going right now, here's your likely outcome. And then I'll turn around and I'll run a simulation that shows muted market returns for an extended period of time. What if we only ever get 4% again? Is your plan still going to be successful? And by doing that, I can hone in on the rate of return that is necessary for your family's financial plan to be successful. If I know what the target rate of return is, I know what my baseline asset allocation is. I know what that base allocation between stocks, bonds, and cash should be so that your plan works no matter what happens. The asset allocation is critical. And, and, and clearly, if I have more stocks than bonds or cash, it's a more aggressive portfolio. It's got more market risk. If I flip that and I have more bonds and cash than stocks, I have a more conservative portfolio. Again, it's important to understand the, the, the range of returns that you can expect from that asset allocation. It is not a cookie cutter thing. There may be times when we decide, hey, I know the pie chart, the asset allocation model. I know it says we want to sleeve in international emerging markets. But you know what? It may be a bad time to be in international emerging markets, so I may substitute that sleeve with something else. That is still asset allocation. It's a little more tactical. 
I'm not just taking the pie chart and, and, and going by that. I'm making some tactical decisions about what's working now and what isn't. That's why you need but a financial planner is to really kind of understand is. those tactics and put things together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is. So I've talked about not timing the market. I've talked about uh, uh, asset allocation. And once we have the asset allocation, once I know what my pie chart looks like, then I start with the investment selection. If I've got a large allocation to technology, I may decide to buy an ETF, which is a, a passive unmanaged index like the QQQ, the NASDAQ. I may choose to buy Apple stock. It fits, it fits that sleeve of the pie chart. But the investment selection is the next biggest chunk of this whole thing, right? I don't want to go in and pick all investments that take more risk and get less return than their respective index. That's going to give a higher risk and a lower return portfolio. So the investment selection piece of this is very, very important. But again, I go back to my comment about how asset allocation gives is responsible for more than 90% of the portfolio return. It's that initial pie chart. It's that initial selection of the different types of investments, domestic large cap, foreign small cap, um, treasuries, inflation protected bonds. There, there are so many different asset classes, asset categories, and it's our ability to pick those that determines the majority of our return. Is there an ideal selection of uh, that pie chart for the, or is it, does it vary by investor and vary by individual? It's going to vary to some degree by investor and by individual. Um, here at Rosenthal Wealth Management Group, we have very set portfolios for different risk levels. So I'll start there, and then depending on client need, depending on time horizon, risk tolerance, any special considerations, I may make some changes to that base portfolio, to the base asset allocation. Mm-hmm. Well, it's kind of neat how you guys work, uh, where you put this little bullpen together and you all discuss these various different things. And you come up with some solutions and then you kind of set that out. And, and it really benefits uh, everybody since you have so many in a large group to work from. That's right. Yeah, That's right. Very good. So we've talked about don't time the market. We've talked about asset allocation. We've talked about investment selection. Topic number four is dollar cost averaging. If you're participating in an employer retirement plan, you're already dollar cost averaging. You're putting some money into that plan every single paycheck at precise intervals. If you get paid every two weeks, you've got money going into your 401k plan every two weeks. Yeah, and if you've got a matching, that's even better. The yes. company's putting that money in as well. Yes. We can simulate that same sort of thing in an IRA, in a brokerage account, um, in a SEP, in a Roth IRA. We can take, if, if, if you put in $100,000 today, I don't have to invest $100,000 today. I can invest $10,000 a week for the next 10 weeks. Why might I do that? Well, I, as one of my clients said to me just yesterday, you know, the market is really high right now. I'm, I'm nervous about investing all of my money in such a high market right now. Well, if I take a little bit every single week for a span of weeks, I'm hoping to take advantage of the volatility that's inherent in the market. And it also keeps me from having to pick the best day to invest that client's money. 
again, it gets me away from that market timing thing, which I already told you don't doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't work. In fact, uh, you can okay. lose a lot of money that way if you're not careful. You, you can. You can. Um, uh, again, everybody gets lucky once in a while on market timing, but it's it it's not consistent. Well, everybody gets lucky at the casino as well once in a while, right? I mean, it's there kind, you of, go. kind of the same thing. There you yeah. go. So you've, you've committed to not try to time the market. You've got an asset allocation in place. You have picked your investments. You have dollar cost averaged into the new portfolio. Now what? Well, you've got to determine at what point you may need to rebalance the portfolio. Okay. And by rebalance, I simply mean reconstruct the portfolio back to the original asset allocation. Over the past year, if I had a client in a 60% stocks, 40% bonds portfolio, if that was their allocation at the end of March last year, by the end of the year, they were something closer to 70-30, mm -hmm. 70% stocks, 30% bonds, because the stocks had such an amazing run-up. So we would have the conversation, hey, you told me that your risk tolerance is within the 60-40 arena, but you are now, because of market growth, in a 70-30 arena. Should we rebalance? Should I take the 10% that I have made in stocks and then redirect that to bonds? There's not a 100% full foolproof right answer all the time. It's a conversation that we have. We here at Rosenthal Wealth Management Group, we do not do automatic rebalancing. We discuss it with our clients. We look at market and economic indicators. But there are times when rebalancing is appropriate. And that's one thing that needs to be part of your investing mindset as you, as you evaluate your portfolio and put all these things into place. I think all of this, for, for people who are already investing, I think it all starts back with that risk audit. That's the first step. And then you start going through these other steps. You pick the right asset allocation. You make the investment selection. You dollar cost average in if appropriate. And then rebalance when you need it. Monitor along the way. Mm -hmm. Well, in the few, uh, actually in the minute or so that we have left, we can sort of wrap things up here a little bit. That's right. That's right. So just to recap, we were we talked a good bit about inflation in the first half. There's been a lot of economic data this past week that supports the notion that inflation is is waning, that inflation is leveling out. If you hear inflation headlines and they make you nervous, talk to your financial advisor or talk to us. You can always call us and ask questions. We don't charge for that. We're happy to talk with you. When it comes to managing your investments, do not try to time the market. Stick to your asset allocation. Do the risk audit. Find out where there are some opportunities to redirect some investments that may be taking more risk than their returns might indicate otherwise. Rebalance when necessary and don't make emotional money decisions. Yeah, that's always sometimes a little bit easier said than done. A lot of folks. Absolutely. <laughs> well, that's a good investment. I'm going to dump all my money. No, okay, yeah, it's not a good idea. You need some planning there for sure. Enjoyed it's your tough. It's tough. The media does a good job of making us feel like the sky is falling. Yeah, they do. They do. When it's not necessarily falling. Yes, not always true. You can't believe everything that the media says? Really? Okay. I know. Hard <laughs> to believe, right? Except here. You can believe us. You can believe us. So if you're uh, 
hearing something here that you'd like to know a little bit more about, remember this phone number, 855-767-3123, 855-ROSE-123. That number rings in the offices, and you don't charge for any kinds of questions, as we've already talked about. Good to see you this week, Dina. Good to see you. We'll talk to you again next time. For Bob there in the back and Bob. for Dina Arnett, my name is Chris McKay. Have a great week. Talk to you again next